Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. We are going to take in a message today called A Place to Belong. And we put that on our wall a little while ago. and We started, you'll hear us every week in announcements, we say, Church is not just a place to attend, it's a place to belong. And I hope that today we can give sort of some context to that and some meaning as to what we um, uh, mean by that and what we believe on that. I think w- w- a couple years ago, somebody just said it. A church shouldn't just be a place to attend, but a place to belong. And we thought that fits the model for us. And so uh, I-, I just hope today that it wouldn't be, um, I- I'm just not appealing to you to listen to me. I'm appealing to you to listen to God this morning. Because I just think that God has so much more to do in our lives, that God has so much more for us in our lives. And some, some people are saying, I, I don't want any more. I'm, I'm good as I am. Uh, I just promise you, if you'd open up your heart to God today, that uh, I think that the word of God could, could do some things that you'll be so grateful for um, today, together today. When you hear the word community, what does that make you think of? Where does it take your mind? Um, when you hear the word community, maybe you think of your childhood neighborhood growing up. Um, maybe you think of your hockey team. Maybe that's your community. Uh, maybe you think of, I don't know, uh, dance classes growing up. Or like, I went to one of these ones, like a, the dance tournaments. I don't know what you call them, where the girls all dance against each other. What's that? Competition? Okay. <laughs> Not a dance tournament. My bad. A dance competition. I'm sure I will have some of those dance tournaments in my future. Or, or maybe... You think of your family. The word community reminds you of your family or some kind of club that you're a part of. Maybe, though, it's not a positive thing. Maybe the word community reminds you of people who make you feel left out. Maybe community is just another reminder that you feel different from people. You don't feel like you always belong. And maybe church is that for you, too. Maybe you come to church and feel like, I haven't found it yet. I don't feel that belonging that you're talking about. Maybe you just feel like an outsider. Like you're not welcome with certain people. We're all familiar with some form of community and with that community, there can be really positive things, you know, really great people and it's a good reminder. And for some people, a reminder of community is just a reminder of drama or unmet expectations, or miscommunications, and whatever the case may be, I believe that community makes things better. And hopefully I can prove that to you through the Bible this morning, Uh, but I believe community makes things better, but it also makes things harder. There's this saying, I don't know who said it, but I've heard it before, that if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. So what does community look like? You know, it's, I always kind of thought it was like a corny word when people talk about, be a part of the community. And I, oh, I don't want to. I want to be off on my own. What does the apostle Paul tell us in Ephesians? He writes this letter. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Lord, not the Lord, um, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've all been called. And so Paul's writing this to Ephesians. He might as well be writing it to us as well. We all have a calling on our lives. And Paul's saying, come on, step up to that calling. 
This is a good thing. And then he says, with all, this is beautiful, humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Just be together in spirit and be at peace. Be bonded together by peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. So I'm going to skip down. We're on four now. I'm going to skip down to 11, he says. Um, And then he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He's explaining all sorts of different callings, different roles in people's lives that can take place for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature to manhood or to womanhood, Uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of of doctrine and and human cunning and by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together uh, by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so Paul is speaking uh, to this Ephesian society, and it is a divided, messed up society. In fact, they even had like, first of all, all sorts of people were having sex all over the place, okay? It's not like, it, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was wild, but also they had like rankings. Like, it was like, if you made a certain amount of money, you could have um, sex with only these people. And if you made this amount of money, well, you couldn't have sex with these people. And there's just weird, all sorts of, this, that's just one weird example that just came to mind, but there's all sorts of weird stuff that they were doing. And, and they were far worse in my opinion, than our society is today. And Paul is just beating the drum of unity, saying we got to come together. We got to be together as a church. We got to worship Jesus. And there's something bigger that he left us called the church. And we got to come together under that and support each other and learn about all that God has for us. And he's kind of saying, it's not just a place to attend. It's a place to belong. We need to be there for each other. We need to be humble. That will help us find unity. Maybe be gentle and, and be patient. That's what will bring us Christians together. He says, bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace with each other. And unity is so important. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I'm with them. He's saying, don't go and do this on your own. Come together. And I've, often over the years, I've heard people out of hurt and offense say, I don't need the church. I can do this on my own. Yes, that's true, but it's so much better together. God didn't intend us for, to do this on our own. I believe this is even why we have a triune God, why God is three parts, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't want to be alone. He has community even for himself. So as we learn about the importance of community, you think about yeah, community is great and being together is great. But sometimes when we're in communities, they fall apart, don't they? Sometimes we lose touch with people. So why don't we sustain community? At, at, why do certain relationships fall apart? I think sometimes people's lives just innocently go in different directions, and that's okay. Like, it is okay 
to lose friends. It's okay to outgrow people. But oftentimes, it's not just like something innocent like that. Oftentimes, it's an angry disagreement, and the relationship ends in hurt. And we often, what I find for myself is we want to reject people that we disagree with. We say, you, I, I disagree with you, unfollow, block, I don't want you in my life anymore. Or, or you know what I mean? Like, we just don't talk to any people, certain people anymore because we disagree with them. So we think if we disagree with someone, we don't want them in our life anymore. This might be too extreme. Maybe I'm a little bit more extreme than you. But I find that this often happens for people, that they do not want people in their life that they disagree with. We think, Everyone just needs to get along. <laughs> and we read Paul's words and we think, okay, everybody I don't agree with is out of my life now. But if the church is going to be a healthy community, we don't actually need to disagree less. We need to disagree better. That if we're going to be you know, better as a church, that if we're going to be united, we just need to be better at disagreeing with each other. People want to eliminate people that they disagree with in their life. But if you don't disagree with people, you eliminate dialogue. And when we have dialogue and healthy, loving conversations, this will lead, like, if, if you eliminate all, di- all dialogue, you'll have a very view, uh, a very narrow view of the world. But when you start to disagree and work through and chew through stuff um, in love, what happens is we start seeing people eye to eye. We start hearing about their past. We start hearing about what they've experienced and why they think the way they do. And we can help each other to be more like Jesus together. And Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. I believe that community was a priority to Jesus. In uh, the 40 days from the time Jesus resurrected till the time he was ascended to heaven or he ascended to heaven, however you say, the time he went up to heaven, um, we have a few scriptures to go through. And, and, and to see kind of what he did on his time here on earth while he physically resurrected in 40 days from resurrection to ascension. One thing I notice is that in this time, Jesus eats a lot. Jesus, he's always, he's, he's going around, he's always eating. I want to prove this to you. Luke 24, maybe it's just because he was dead for three days. And he's like, I'm starving. <laughs> I haven't, not only have I been dead, but I haven't eaten anything while I was dead and I'm starving. But anyways, Luke chapter 24, he says, Um, the disciples are, it says, while they disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. They were like, how is Jesus in front of us? They're freaking out. What does Jesus say to them? Have you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate them, ate it before them. And then, uh, John chapter 21, a different, uh, experience here. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So they're trying to catch fish. They couldn't catch it. Jesus teaches them how to catch the fish. And miraculously, all of a sudden, they pull up all this fish. And so Simon Peter uh, went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And there was, although there were so many, the net was not torn. I just think this is funny that they, in the Bible, they were like, let's make sure we get how many fish we're in. I love this about the Bible. There's funny little details like this. I just imagine the disciples being like, I am not counting the fish this week. That's disgusting. You go count. If we're going to put this in the Bible, you count the fish. You're the one who wants it in there. Go, John, count them. Okay. So he says, there's 153 of them. The net wasn't torn. And then Jesus said, come, let's have breakfast. A few examples here where Jesus, he's always eating. And maybe he was just hungry because he was dead, but 
I think this speaks to the priority that community is to Jesus. He's not just running around preaching to everybody. He's not just standing on some street corner preaching all the time. He does things like this where he sits with people and he eats. He doesn't just have 12 friends around him listening to him all the time. They eat and they chew on stuff together and he asks them questions. And historically, eating together was an act of acceptance, that when you ate with someone, you accepted that person into their life. And this is why the religious people were so angry when Jesus would eat with the tax collectors and sinners, because they would say, look, he's accepting them. And that's true. Jesus accepts you as you are, and he will sit and eat a meal with anyone, just like we should be willing to as Christians. And he's having these important talks with people as they connect over food. And in Mark uh, 16, 14, he's about to give them the great commission. This is such an important moment. And they were all what? Sitting around reclining at the table, having something to eat. And he gives them the great commission. There, see, there's something powerful about eating together. The disciples didn't have to put these little details in about Jesus, but I think it speaks to the fact that they, they were intentional about putting things in there that Jesus ate with people. I read this study this week. I was just learning about eating together and what it, what it means, what it does for us. And I was just reading about how children are impacted by eating together as a family. I, I read this. This is wild. Children who do not eat with their parents at least twice a week we're 40% more likely to be overweight compared to those who do. That's crazy. And uh, I think about all the weight I gained when I left home because I wasn't eating at the dinner table. I was eating Wendy's in my car. But <laughs> another thing, they said uh, children who do eat with their parents five or more days a week have less trouble in the future with drugs and alcohol they eat healthier, they show better academic performance, and uh, report being closer with their parents than children who do not eat with their parents as often. Crazy. Any other, there's, a, there's a powerful thing there. And so if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this, you need to go eat with people. Whether they're in your house or you're at Boston Pizza, whatever, just go eat with people. I think the Last Supper, again, serves as another picture of Jesus saying, let's eat together. Matthew 26 says, now as they were eating, we think about the Last Supper. We think about all these people sitting on one side of the table. Like, that's weird. Why are they eating in a row like that? I always think it's weird when couples sit beside each other in a booth. I'm sorry if you do that, but when a couple alone, is alone and they sit beside each other, I'm always like, that's strange. I don't like that. Uh, um, but my wife and I would never do that. I need my space. We stare at each other, and, and sometimes we stare at our phones. But anyways, the, uh, um, they, they're all sitting Sorry if I offended you about sitting beside each other. I just find it weird. I can't get into it. But the, um, the Last Supper, they're all sitting beside each other. That's just a painting. And, and I think like what, what we picture the Last Supper is actually that they're coming together as community, right? It wasn't about posing for a picture like your mom makes you do. It's about that moment of community where you come together. And we often focus on the symbolic elements of the Last Supper. But yet again, here they are sitting down for a meal together. And, and Jesus, in this moment of community, he's also, he's giving the vision, but he's also confronting Judas in this moment. He says, truly, I say to you, one of you betrayed me. One of you will betray me. So he's, he's teaching and he's confronting and he's doing these things in this loving aspect of community, sitting down for a meal together. And I think it's powerful because Jesus could have been out. Let's get one last message in. Like, let's get all these people. Let's do one last big miracle service. Let's get thousands of people together as I end my time on this earth. And instead, he comes together in a moment of community. 
before his death, he chose to sit with the 12 and have this powerful moment of community together. Jesus loves eating with people because people follow Jesus better in community. And Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. We all have a calling on our lives and people will help us live out that calling. This verse, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, I often will recite it um, when I'm officiating a wedding because I think it's powerful. But as I thought through this message this week, I thought, what, what better? And I kind of just looked up what uh, I believe Solomon wrote this. What, what Solomon was trying to say to us through this, this verse in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other one can help him up. But pity the one who falls uh, and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can you keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a three-stranded cord is not quickly broken. So he's not just talking about go camping with your friends and make sure you cuddle up to keep each other warm. Now he's, he's saying that, man, we... we we can find this power in friendships together that we can stand and then we can stand back to back and we can come against anything that life throws at us because we're going to hold each other up. We're going we're gonna to pull each other into better things as believers together. And the, and the Bible, it helps us know Jesus better, but my community is specific to me and it helps me be more like Jesus. Because the Bible can tell me what, what Jesus is, and that's great, and I can follow that. But the community can call you out on the specific things that are going on in your world. That's why the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We need people around us who will make us better and who have permission to say, you're being an idiot right now. My son would get upset. I'm not allowed to say idiot around him. But we need people like that that have permission to just say, honestly, you are wrong. People in my community are examples of being like Jesus. They hold me accountable. And they give me opportunities to forgive them and, and learn alongside them. And I, I, I just think that some of us, we, we have this thing of community, but then sometimes our Christianity is separated from that. And we kind of hold it on our own. But when we can bring a, a Christian community or, or believers, people who believe the same thing in us, that will hold us accountable and that will support us as we go through life, it's a powerful thing. You know, two of the best friends that I've made in the past few years have come from, first of all, me making an effort and helping my, like finding them, not just them finding me, but also both times I didn't feel like I had the capacity for a new relationship and God blessed me with one. It just took the capacity to be open to something new. Not because I'm like Jesus at the Last Supper and I just have so many friends I can't handle anymore. No, because my capacity sometimes is just low. And I felt like I didn't need any more people in my life. And when I opened my mind to it, God blessed me with life-giving people. And the person I would consider my greatest mentor outside of my family, our relationship began from me stepping out and going to a dinner that I expected nothing from and in the moment didn't really want to go to. But I knew that God could do new things in my life and was open to that. And I'm not trying to say you need to upgrade on your friends. <laughs> you just need better friends. They're not great. I just believe that God has never done with us. He's always doing a new thing. He always wants to do more. And sometimes that feels, sounds exhausting. But I'll tell you, it's fulfilling and it's beautiful to see his plans and his purpose working in our lives. And we got to be open to what God is doing. And community will help me live up to my calling. You see, we see this. 
in uh, Mary, mother of Jesus. We see this when they're at this, they're at this wedding and they run out of wine. You might've heard this story before. They run out of wine. And so um, they're like, what are we going to do? This is so embarrassing. We're out of wine. And Mary knows that her son, Jesus, can do something about this, right? She's like, I know this happened to me last week. And this boy whipped up a nice, approachable, fruity Merlot for me. And he, he's going to make this happen at this wedding right now. And so what happens is the mother of Jesus calls him out and says, hey, it's time to live up to your calling. It's time. I know you've been practicing at home. Like you've been setting the table by making things hover through the kitchen. Uh, I, I just imagine that their home is like Yoda, Star Wars vibes. And, and he's doing this stuff at home and he doesn't want anybody to see it yet. But... And then they come into this moment, and like any 30-year-old man who lives at home, Jesus is comfortable and doesn't want to lose a good thing that he has going there. And so he says, my time has not yet come, mom. Don't begin this, because he knows. She says, hey, my son can do something about this, but Jesus knows if I do this miracle in front of people, my ministry has to begin, which means my death is coming. But what happened was Jesus had the right people in his life. And his mom called him out and said, it's time. Come do a miracle for this. And let's get some hoppy IPAs up in this piece. Um, but people, we need people who will pick us up off the ground and help us live up to our calling. Who will call us out of our comfort and say, I know that God has something more for you. And keeping our eyes on Jesus brings our community together. And Paul said that speaking the truth in love were to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Paul was teaching us, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Healthy communities, we can put our differences aside and say there's a common connection here. That common connection is Jesus and his plan and his purpose that he has for our lives and this world. And Paul was trying to communicate that with the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he says, um, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there'd be no divisions among you, but that you'd be united by the same mind and the same judgment. And the context of this verse is that these Corinthians were all divided. It was all messed up because they had, they would, they would cling to, um, I don't know how the, the, they would cling to mentors. So they would kind of be like, well, I have this mentor and they taught me this specific thing. And so I know more than you other Corinthian. And then the other Corinthian would be like, well, I have this mentor and, and this leader, and they taught me all these things. And well, I actually know more than you. And so they started to be divided uh, by different things because of just who they were connected with. And what happened was there was a self-centeredness in the Corinthian church, um, which resulted in building cliques within the church. And people would say, I'm going to be with these people because I'm better than you. I know more than you. I have more freedom than you because of that. And they were seeing selfish displays happening even within their services. And Jesus, and, and, and what Paul is saying in this moment is he, he's saying, we come together under Jesus. Hey, we don't come together under who we know. We don't come together under our political views. We don't come together over a medical stance. We don't come together over patriotism. We don't come together over social justice. No, we come together under Jesus. And we don't need to come together under anything else. Those things will figure themselves out. Let's get our priorities straight and fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to 
In order to do that, though, we've got to be willing to walk alongside people that we disagree with and allow ourselves to say there will be no division in the church. And we're going to keep our eyes fixed on the plan God has for us. Paul is dealing with this division in the early days of the Corinthian church. And they're divided over doctrines and over moral issues, like crazy moral issues. And they're divided over all sorts of things. And, and uh, the Corinthians are saying, I belong to this and I belong to that. And whatever, I mean, I'm in, uh, this is the label on us and that's the label on you. And, and Paul's saying, you belong to Jesus. Let's focus on our agreement that Jesus is Lord and we belong to him. And the reality of it is, if we're, if, if we're gonna move forward as Christians, we need to be united under Jesus. And that's what's gonna have us have healthy communities. We have one common enemy. You know who he is. He's not the person sitting next to you, okay? Not your spouse, not, not your soccer coach, whatever. We have one common enemy, that's the devil. Have you ever, though, and I, I see this happening, and this happened to me, but have you ever made a friend because you both dislike the same person? <laughs> this happens in political groups all the time. I hate blank leader, so I like you. <laughs> uh, and when I was in, I think it was about grade eight, I remember making a friend uh, because we both disliked the teacher. So we both sit at the back of the room and just make fun of the teacher all class. And that, that was our common ground. That was why we loved each other. And, and so as Christians, we can do this because we all know we have the same enemy. That's the devil. Luckily, he's under our feet. He is bound. Jesus defeated him. So we defeat him. And our enemies aren't each other in our communities. Wouldn't it be smart of the enemy to make us believe that our enemies are actually each other? And that the people sitting around us and that the people in our, in our families and in our, our groups or whatever are our enemies. Wouldn't that be smart of him to do that? If you look at the pattern of Satan in the Bible, his work is that he constantly is trying to deceive people. Which means that for us as Christians, we have to work to constantly defeat the lies that he tries to put in our hearts and minds. And we can and will. And this is why we do things like our freedom groups at Celebration Church. Because our freedom groups is not that, oh, you're so messed up and you're, you know, you just, you're so held back by all this stuff. No, our freedom groups are all about the enemy puts lies in our hearts and in our minds. Every single person, nobody is immune to it. And we need freedom from that. We need to constantly have freedom from that, knowing who our enemy is and it's not each other. And community confronts me when I forget who my real enemy is. Just like Jesus confronted Judas. Like Paul said, it helps us mature to the fullness of Christ. Healthy communities will help us mature. They'll help us learn boundaries. They'll help us forgive people easier and get our eyes back on Jesus, not on the people that we need to forgive constantly. So isn't that funny how somebody will do you wrong and you'll, you'll get your eyes off Jesus and you'll just be hyper-focused on that situation, that offense, that thing that came in, that person. You'll just be hyper-focused on them and, and, and we need to be free from those things and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And, and I think that churches are great 
great places to build community. And actually, we're, we're pretty good at it. But one thing we constantly need to remind ourselves as we are great at building community and coming together is that the miracle of community needs to be shared. Because at times, the miracle of community is so kept to ourselves. And just like any other blessing that God gives us, he, we are blessed to be a blessing as well. Not to keep that blessing just to ourselves. See, financially, we can be blessed. And then we um, financially, we can bless the church. But we can also be blessed with community and then go bless other people in the church with community. Meaning we don't just achieve the community that we desire on our own and then keep it to ourselves. We then go once we have that community and we go and we give that away and help other people experience the blessing that God has put on our lives. We can be stingy with money and we can be stingy with community as well. We need to be generous with the community God's given us. I think oftentimes you see people go, ah, oh, that's my friend. Leave them alone. They're my friend. Or, or you see people hang out with each other and you introduce them and you say, why didn't I get invited? I'm so mad at them. Ah, we get stingy. And Mary could have done this with Jesus. No. Okay. I'm working on my wine collection at home. Okay. And he's not doing that for this wedding. No. Mary knew there's plenty to go around. I just believe that for community as well. As we experience the wonderful community that our churches can be, as we are part of a place to belong, man, we got to have a heart that says, I believe other people not only uh, want this, but they need this. It's not that people just need to go out and find community. It's on you. You need community, go find it. It's that healthy communities go and find people and bring them into them. The healthy communities don't close the door and say, ah, we got enough. Ah, we're good as is. We'll let you know if we lose somebody. You know, if somebody offends us or whatever, we'll, we'll get rid of them and you can come in then. No, healthy communities go and bring people into them. And the church has incredibly healthy, loving communities. And it's that we need to create a place if we're going to be a place to belong. We need to create a place that people can be found by the community, not just find community. And, you know, it's not that I'm, I'm thinking that, oh, people come to church because they have no friends and they're trying to get friends. No, people come to church and they're looking for Jesus. And they might already have communities, but what communities can do is go and find those people and help bring them to Jesus as well. Help make that experience real for people as well. Be generous with the blessing of community. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11. It says, he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply the seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Isn't that interesting? You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So we often hear, I've often heard this verse quoted in like a, a money sort of way that like, hey, if you, you know, sow, God, you're also going to reap. God promises that. I fully believe that. I also believe that God can do that with community as well. 
that, hey, we don't need to be stingy with this thing. Let's go and let's bring people in. Let's go and let's welcome people. Let's go and make sure that um, people that come in that don't even know they're looking for community yet can find that community and God will bless us. God will just have a harvest of righteousness for us and uh, we can be generous knowing that God will enrich us. Let's be brave enough to share the community we have, but also, as I talked about earlier, sometimes people in your community, they hurt you. Sometimes you can really sow into people and just love them and think that you've given them your absolute best and then they break your heart. And part of being a part of community is to trust in God when your community breaks your heart. See, Paul says when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow and it builds itself up in love. But sometimes not all the parts work properly because we're human and we mess up. And when parts of the body don't work properly, you don't give up on the whole thing. You keep working on the thing that's not working. Keep bringing God in. Keep him reminding yourself how Jesus works, how Jesus thinks. If we're going to have strong community, we're going to need to forgive our community. This might be too strong a language, but I would even say that we can't make friends without being hurt by them. And the devil's goal, as he deceives, is he makes you think you can't trust God. I think this, this is what he did with Eve. And that we look at the, the first example we get as we open our Bibles. Um, and he says, oh, God told you you couldn't eat that? No, 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 no. If you eat it, it'll make you like God. He's trying to deceive. He's trying to make Eve think, you cannot trust the word of God. And just know that he's going to continue to try and do that to you too. But he's underneath our feet. He's defeated. Don't, don't allow him to be more than he is. Just keep defeating and removing the lies that he puts in your heart. And when your heart gets broken by your community, come back and trust God. Sometimes you need time to heal need time away from people, that's okay, that's good. But so often when people let us down, we can be tempted to just give up on the whole thing, but don't allow the pain of discouragement to keep you from the blessing that community can be in your life. And I know that I've gone through seasons, gone through relationships that have been incredibly painful and have made me feel like I'm gonna just reject this whole thing of community. I can't trust people anymore. But when I've trusted God, there was an unexpected blessing for me. He's brought people into my world that make me laugh. You need people in your life that will make you laugh. And you need people in your life who will laugh at you. <laughs> it's good for your soul. You need people who are allowed to laugh at you. That's why I golf with people. They laugh at me. <laughs> I would say this for church that attendance is the first step. And you might think, I have my own community. I don't need any more friends. But whether it takes one week or 10 years, it is worth finding belonging. Because attendance is just the first step. Belonging is the next one. We are not just a congregation or a group of faces. We are a community that loves and can take care of each other and help each other grow. And we don't just confront each other. Also, there's a 
beautiful group of moms who make meals for each other when somebody has a baby and all kinds of beautiful things that happen in community. When you belong, one thing I love about belonging is that when you belong, people notice when you're not there. It's been a tricky thing to kind of notice through this last little bit. Who's missing? Why are they missing? Are they okay? I think that's the beauty of community is that when we can weave together and and find community together, we know when someone's missing and how we can love and help them and how they can love and, and help us. And help us live a life worthy of our calling because everybody has a beautiful call of God on their lives. And we only get this little sliver on earth and, and it's, just, it's just not worth um, holding grudges and, and judgments and, and uh, having pride in our lives. We just need our communities to help us live up to the calling that God has on us. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this wonderful group of people here today. Just pray that whatever work happened in our hearts today, whatever situation that you've been, that your Holy Spirit's been bringing to mind for us, God, would you seal that work right now? Would you just seal that in our hearts? God, I pray we would just soften our hearts towards people, soften our hearts towards even your plan for us. And sometimes when we hit a setback, we just feel like, ah, why again? God, I pray we would stop questioning why and just start trusting you. You have a a wonderful plan that you're working out and a great future for all of us, a great future for this world and a great future for this city and for this church. God, I thank you for those people that are sitting here right now. There's people who have been hurt by, there's people here who've been hurt by other churches. There's also people here who've even been hurt by this church. I pray that today, God, we would just soften our hearts to what you have next for us. God, help us to just, whoever it was, whatever person, help us to forgive people today, God, so that we can just have that intimacy with you. See your face. God, we know that unforgiveness, it makes our hearts hard. It makes us angry. It it makes us somebody who you didn't design us to be. I pray that today we bring you any unforgiveness, any selfishness. Pray we just bring it to you right now. I pray for those who have found community and they're feeling feeling a little stingy with it. God, would you help reveal to them where they can go and bring community to be a blessing to someone? God, I pray for those who haven't found the beauty of community. God, would you just encourage them today that they can step out, they can continue to look and continue to seek and find what you have for them in a group of amazing, amazing people who love you. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just ask that um, we just respect a moment right now because I just feel like every time we gather, it's so important to give people the opportunity to begin the journey of salvation or whatever you want to call it, beginning your walk with God, begin the journey of the relationship with God, whether you're beginning it for the first time or 
You're recommitting your life. Um, I just want you to know that God loves you. That even in your guilt or your shame that you felt, or even when you just felt going through a dry season, God loves you so much. And it just, it says in the Bible, simply, we can believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And, and it, it says that you will have eternal life. And we can just take a moment right now and you can do that. You don't have to change a bunch of stuff or set your life up or clean things up in a certain way. You can just believe, if you believe that right now, you can confess it with your mouth and begin or recommit your life to Christ. And I'm just gonna ask everybody who calls Celebration Church home to boldly pray this prayer with those in the room who are praying it with those online. I invite you, just repeat after me. Bible says you will be saved. Let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again and you are my Lord. Today I ask you come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And from now on, I live for you. In your name, amen. Come on, let's say amen together. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.